today's today's reading is from Matthew 13, 31 through 33, and 44 through 52. Another parable he put before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man has found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net which was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew to shore and sat down and sorted the good into vessels, but threw away the bad. So, so it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. Have you understood all this? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of the Lord. Exciting, I think, and a little scary and definitely weird and confusing to have the way you have understood everything. Good, bad, truth, life, plants, people, here, now, then, there, radically altered. To realize slowly or suddenly that what you've come to believe in isn't necessarily true. Mostly it's just exciting, as I remember it, when you're young. And it isn't really the way you understood things, but the way your parents taught you, or Sunday school, or public schools, or oppressive regimes, or the mainstream media. Then the gestalt shift is just thrilling. Things aren't the way Ronald Reagan said they were. Cool. Bible Baptist was a cadre of fearful, repressed, homophobic, gynophobic, insane literalists. Yeah, your father doesn't know best. It's wonderful, heady, subverting their systems, discovering the fault lines and the structures, man, that mainstream America clings to, U.S. foreign Paul lie, see, traveling around and sleeping on people's floors, beds. What a lie that they're necessary. Money or electricity or the grid is a lie we can live without. Burn wood, kerosene, and we might quit moving someday, but we will never settle down. But the thing is, when you grow up or grow older anyway, and you've spent years and years working out, building your intricate way of seeing the world, your understanding of God and politics and right and wrong, when you've spent years developing your own values, your own beliefs, when you have a way of seeing the world that is yours, the bed is freaking comfortable. And it's a little hard to let it go 
Why would you? Of course we believe in our values. Maybe even cling to our values, teach our children our values. And in my experience, we're super happy when it seems like our children are absorbing our values. They need to love books. I want them desperately to be happy eating freeze-dried food in the wilderness on top of some mountain in grizzly territory. I do not want them to be happy playing Call of Duty. I do not believe it is possible that that will be good for them. I believe in what I believe in, and I want my children to believe in it because I think it's right. I mean, I like a Jesus who disrupts the values and the systems and the worldviews of the people whose values and systems and worldviews I think need disrupting. I really don't think my values need to be disrupted. I like them. I think there really is a certain amount of pain involved in having your own belief system, even if you hesitate it to call it a system, to have it unhinged, to have the lies that you believe in exposed. I don't think we readily do it ourselves. I'm not sure that we can do it ourselves. I think it might have to be done to us. And I'm not sure you'd call what that would feel like really simply, clearly good. This chapter in Matthew, this string of parables, is so unsettling. Almost to the point where if you say, I understand, you probably haven't, because that would be sort of like settling on something, and these parables seem to be undermining the possibility. I mean, it's one thing to stand apart from it and go like, I like how Jesus messes with folks, messes with the machine. I like how he messes with people's consciousness. But it's different to have your consciousness messed with. I don't think it's something you can really see happening. If you did, you'd probably try to prevent it. It's almost like leaven, which a woman took and hid, or a seed so small that it's practically invisible. It's like a woman hiding something. Is this woman, is she like, what, lurking around in the outer darkness, outside the kitchen door, watching for the opportunity to sneak in and hide the leaven? It's disturbing to me that she has to be so sneaky about it. Leaven was something that people thought of as dirty, unclean, because it was like mold. It's like decaying microorganisms. It was something that was going bad, fermenting. So it was super important that the Israelites ate unleavened bread, pure bread, untouched by corruption, when they remembered and celebrated their redemption. Unleavened bread was a really big, important deal. And the parable says that the text, the parable says that the woman is hiding, hiding the leaven. You get leaven by taking some little piece of bread and storing it in a damp, dark place until it rots and decays. I mean, it's possible that the woman is just like being playful. 
like she's some happy, round grandma with a flowered apron on. And, and she brings the grandkids in to help her plant the leaven in the flower, and they all laugh quietly and kindly. I mean, it'd be one thing if Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a nice woman kneading yeast into dough. But there's something more unsettling about this wood woman hiding decaying microorganisms in the flower. And what about the mustard man? There were all sorts of regulations around mustard seeds because mustard was a sort of kind of invasive species weed that you had to be very careful with because if mustard started growing in your fields, it would wreck your vegetables. It would suffocate your flowers. And right before the mustard parable, right before, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, like two seconds later, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like bad seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Not the good seed, but the bad seed. First he says the enemy sowed the weeds while men were sleeping, and now he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing weeds. First it's all the kingdom is like a good farmer sowing a good seed. Two seconds later, it's all like the kingdom of heaven is like a bad farmer sowing bad seed. That's obfuscating and perplexing and confusing and slightly maddening. Look at it this way. Look at it that way. See this? Okay, now I'm turning it upside down. But wait, look again, it's right side up. Look, okay, just stand still a minute. I'm just going to spin you around a little bit. Are you feeling a little bit dizzy? A little dizzier? Are you so dizzy now that you can't even see straight? Good, good, good. You don't understand? That's right. Why would Jesus speak in parables so that we can't understand? so that we can't stand in one place and see straight. You don't get to make one big shift and then build your house and live in it for the rest of your life. You're all set with your worldview and your values and your beliefs and your judgments. It's kind of nice to feel a little bit set. But what if the kingdom of God is like something always disruptive to anything anybody ever sets? What if it's always unsettling? We believe in our judgments. We might judge judgment, but we believe in our judgment of judgment. How else do you live? How can you move and live and have your being if it's not believing in your judgment? What's it like to follow Jesus, the mad farmer, the woman who hides something dying in your bread? You don't get to build a nest and stay in it. There is no place to lay your head. You have to turn your back on the ties that bind you over and over and over again. You have to die and be reborn. I'm just saying, whoa, are you sure you want to hit that man? Because it's going to bend your mind, maybe blow your mind. It is some wild weed. The kingdom of God may be like the most disruptive force in the universe. 
though little and hidden and very, very hard to see. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in some field which a man found. And then the man covered it up. What's his deal? He didn't want the owner to find out that there was a treasure in his field? It seems immoral. People have been arguing about the ethics of this for a long time. He reburies the treasure and then sells everything he has to buy it out from under the nose of the owner. But eventually people get so tired of arguing about the ethics. And they're like, come on, come on, the joy is the point of the parable. It's the joy, this great joy that surpasses everything, this kind of joy that seizes a man and carries him away and penetrates his inmost being and subjugates his mind. Like what? Like that's the way heroin works. Like some old man falls in love with a young woman and leaves everything he has, his wife, his kids. The joy, the joy. Is it like that? You see it one way, it flips. Look at a minute, it flips again. There is such a strangeness, a great, big, weird wildness to what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Really strange. Really, like you can't make a judgment that will stand before it falls. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Okay, I don't really mind the woman hiding the leaven, really. If she's round and happy, I like her. If she's dark and furtive, I like her. I don't mind the mustard weed either. Actually, I my mom is saying, aren't dandelions beautiful? They're so pretty. But a merchant? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl. Really, my God, a commercial businessman in search of something that's worth a lot of money? Somehow that kind of ratchets up the offense for me. So just last Sunday we were on our way home from Glacier, and I was telling Jim how what's so incredibly beautiful, and I probably sound sort of insane, but it's like you can get so far out of the force field of commerce that it's like you're breathing in this entirely different air, and it's like some infection-lying, capitalist-polluting, striving, competitive, smoggy sickness gets washed out of your veins, and you can finally breathe like pure air, and it feels so good and so right, and I desperately do not want to stop in Dickinson, North Dakota. <laughs> the Bakken Shale, to spend the night, where there's an oil-drilling bonanza, an oil boomtown, and it is all full of merchants, oil-extracting, environment-wrecking, world-destroying, merchants searching for their pearl, digging for the treasure, heedless of what it's costing, the badlands, the universe. They'll sacrifice everything for their pearl. It feels like it will kill us to get out of the car and sleep in a hotel and breathe that air, and I want to throw myself in front of a car on Interstate 94. Merchants, man. In search of fine pearls, I judge them. And I believe in my judgments. 
This whole string of parable, parables seems to be saying the kingdom of heaven is like something impure. I might be able to go like, fine, I guess the kingdom is threatening to people who believe in purity. I don't, so I'm fine. But I think maybe I do believe in purity. It's just my kind of purity. And there's a lot of room for a lot of things in my kind of purity, but the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that scoops up everything, everybody. Maintaining any sort of purity boundaries at all is impossible. A division between the sacred and the profane is absurd, completely untenable, and it is really disturbing to be pressed up against the oil merchant, breathing the air he's expelling from his lungs, squished up in the net next to Casey Anthony until the end of the age. The kingdom of heaven is good, but in such a different way than we're used to thinking of good that you could practically say it's the opposite. Every one of these metaphors and every one of these paraphors Parables is a metaphor of impurity. The leaven, the mustard seed, the dishonest guy with the field, the merchant, the net that sweeps up everything. It subverts our ability to predict what is good. It subverts our ability to predict the outcome. I think that Jesus wants us to throw up our hands and confess, I cannot judge. That doesn't necessarily feel just good. It isn't comfortable. You're stuck in the net next to a slimy fish and broken bottles. Oil executives pressed up against you. You can't separate yourself out. That's offensive. It's hard to live in that reality. It's hard to not constantly try to make the move to sort out the bad, to sort. But maybe that's what the kingdom is like, that net. It's shocking, really. And if it doesn't shock us, then maybe we haven't really heard it right. Jesus tells these parables and he asks the people, have you understood all this? And they say, yes. That seems crazy. They've been thrown back and forth and spun around. The bad was good and then the good was bad. And they say, yes, we understand. Jesus is probably like, well, let me try this again. Spin and spin and spin. Are you feeling dizzy yet? I'm pretty sure the point isn't to try to get us to enforce and follow and believe in rules that we already know. I'm pretty sure he doesn't even want us to cling to our values. But rather to glimpse something that lies way out far beyond anything we could possibly expect. To get us to the point maybe where we go, well, no, I don't understand. I'm beginning to understand how much I don't understand, maybe. He wants us to look to the mustard tree where the birds get fed. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. Normally, the bird is the enemy of the seed. I mean, Jesus just told a parable where the birds are the enemy of the seed. They pluck it off the ground and they eat it before it can be planted. They're sons of evil, the devil, blah, blah, blah. Now he tells a story where they are nesting in its branches. Now he tells a story where the birds are resting in the branches of a tree that grew from a seed that they wouldn't allow to be planted. Scientifically, logically, botanically, the mustard tree is impossible. But in this parable, it grows and grows so that its enemies can find shade in its branches. Impossible. Have you understood all this? Of course not. We really can't comprehend the love of God that encompasses all things. Our values and worldviews can't encompass it. Our judgment Leave it to the angels at the beach, please. Our mercy is far too shallow to hold it all. So abandon your hold. It's safe. It's hard to believe, but there is nothing to fear in grace. The bread, I have to tell you, is impure. It's from the store. It has leaven in it, and blood, and tears, and death. But I hope that eating it will at least unsettle us.